invite your attention tonight to 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter. And I'll begin reading at uh, verse 1 of 2 Samuel 6. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, Abinadab which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Aho went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tam- tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they had come to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to touch the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. You know, the disposition many times is, is when we read this story that we have some at least compassion for us. And I'm sure many people think that the Lord was unfair to us on this occasion because just on the surface of it, if this is all you read, if this is all you see, that seems like such a little thing as many people would say. And he was trying, in his own mind, evidently, he was, he was thinking, well, I'm going, I'm going to keep that cart from falling off of that, or that ark from falling off of that cart. So he may have had good intentions, but he still died as a result of touching, taking hold, of the ark. But when we look at the whole story, look at the teaching behind this, it is certainly understandable that of the consequences that he received as a result of what he did. That's what we want to look at tonight. And so let's begin at that. Well, in fact, before I get further on this, I might point out that David 
he was there. He was part of this. David the king, he he had a problem with it. Next verse, verse 8 says, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against us. And he called the name of the place Perez, Uzzah, to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? See, they were moving the ark back to its proper place. We'll say more about that in just a moment. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. This happened for some time, evidently. He refused to have anything to do with this for a while. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So, let's look at some of the, some of the history of this. Let's go back to the First of all, to 1 Samuel, the fourth chapter. 1 Samuel 4. I'll find it here in a minute. 1 Samuel 4, at verses 10 and 11. Why was it not, why was the ark not in its place the first time? That's what we're going to talk about first now. The Israelites were in battle. This is in the days of Eli, when Samuel was still fairly young. Eli was the priest of God, you remember. When David, or when Samuel was just a child, his parents took him to the house of God and they gave him to the Lord as the expression was used and he stayed with Eli and served in that place but Hophni and Phinehas the sons of Eli were also priests of course and they were very evil men they did terrible things against God's teaching and God's law. So when they got in battle, Israel got in battle with the Philistines. Verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So the ark was captured. Why was it at the battlefield to begin with? Well, because they thought they had begun to think like idolatrous people. And even the even the Philistines, when they heard that their ark, that the ark of the Israelites had been brought into the battleground, they even feared. 
because they knew the power of the God of Israel. And they considered this evidently to be the God of Israel, even though it was just the ark that God had authorized. So, that's why the ark is out of place, and it stayed out of place for years, over 20 years, before it got back, before we read a while ago to begin with in Second Samuel, the sixth chapter. So this is what was said about that. In fact, this was such a dramatic and fearful thing that Eli, you remember the story? Eli, when he got the news, he was a very heavy man. When he got the news, he fell off of his stool, his seat, and broke his neck and died. It was so shocking to him. He was concerned. Eli was a good man, even though he had not restrained his sons as probably he should have. So that's kind of the setting of it. And from this point now, over 20 years elapses between 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6 and 2 Samuel 6 and 7 that we have already read from tonight. And when the Philistines took that ark. They first took it to Ashdod, one of their cities. And what happened? Well, the Lord began to, began to uh, afflict the people. He struck them with tumors. And they weren't sure that their having the ark had to do with that, but they, they made a test on that and found out, yes, <laughs> That had to do with their having the ark. So the people of Ashdod wanted to get rid of it, so they sent it to sent it to Gath. And the same thing happened there, and they sent it on to think of the city that Ekron it was. Sent it on to Ekron. And people of Ekron, by the time it got there, they had already heard about what was happening in other places. They sure didn't want it. So they said, let's send that thing back to Israel. Let's send it to where it belongs. And that's when they made the test. They put oxen to the cart. They took a cart and hitched oxen to it. And kept their calves, fastened up their calves so the calves couldn't go with them. And they said, if it goes back, if those oxen take that cart back to Israel, we'll know that this was God's doing, that we suffered all of these tumors because of having that ark with us. Well, that's exactly what happened. Those oxen took off for Israel. And so this was, uh, this was uh, at least that much of the story. But what was the, what was the problem with all of this? Well, let's go back to Exodus, the 25th chapter. In other words, God had some rules 
It's called in Exodus 25, he uh, commanded them to make everything according to the pattern that he gave them. Over in 2 Samuel, he called it the, in, no, in, in the first, first Chronicles it is, he called it the due order. God had a due order, which is just another way of saying he had a pattern. And they had violated that order. They had, they had violated that pattern. Here in Exodus 25, earlier, when God was uh, at Mount Sinai giving them the law, he said in verse 8 of Exodus 25, And let them make me a sanctuary. Now they made that, you remember at first, as a tabernacle, a tent sort of thing. In Solomon's day, he built, a, he built the temple. But here at the beginning, it was this, uh, this tent-like thing uh, and I, that I made well among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Now, that's what we're talking about tonight is the Ark of the Covenant being moved. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a height, uh, half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. And you shall, and, uh, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Now think of this kind of a chest-like thing. Put rings on each, each corner. And then he says, And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark on those poles through those rings, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings, uh, rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. And so we'll learn in other readings as we go along. Those poles, they were long enough to go through all the length of that and more too of that ark. And then we're going to read that the Levites, the Kohath, the Kohath family members of the tribe of Levi were the ones responsible for carrying that ark. And they carried it on their shoulders, the rods lying on their shoulders. That was the pattern that God gave in all of the movements, whenever they moved, when they built this, and you know, they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. And this was the pattern for them to follow in when they moved the ark. Well, they're moving the ark now in our lesson tonight, moving it back to, uh, to the place where it belonged, where God had authorized for it to be. And so they put it on a, they put it on a cart. Pulled by oxen rather than 
the uh, Levites, the Kohath family of the Levites, carrying it on their shoulders. So that's that tells us a little bit about the problem. Then let's go to let's go to Numbers. Numbers the uh, Numbers the third chapter. Numbers, the third chapter, verses 29 to 31. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle, and the leaders of the father's house of the families of the Kohathites was Elizaphan, or Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen and all the work relating to them. So, that tells us that the these uh, folks that I just talked about, that they had the responsibility of the, all of this, these furnishings that went in the tabernacle. And they had to care, besides the other things that they, the responsibilities they had, they cared for them. But they also, when they moved, they, they carried them, including the other piece, but that included the ark. They carried, they carried the ark. That's what God designated. That was the pattern. In Numbers, the next chapter, in Numbers, the fourth chapter, at verse 15, and when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, see, they're going to travel there now, set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. Now, by the time we get to over here to Samuel, they all—they're all supposed to know this. They're supposed to know this pattern that they are to follow, and that's why this becomes such an important, important matter. So let's go to let's go to First Chronicles. You know, we have the books of First, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. Well, especially First and Second Chronicles includes most includes a briefer uh, history of the same period of time and the same goings on sometimes it is with lesser amount of explanation but i think there's some important things in first chronicles 15 with regard to this that will help us help us understand more clearly what's going on here First Chronicles 15 to verse 1. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. That's what we've been reading about, the, uh, the sanctuary or the tent, the tabernacle. Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David get all, gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem 
to bring up the ark of the Lord to, to its place. And in the history, you can go back and check it for yourself if you want to, but this is the same thing that we're reading about in Second Samuel 7, their attempt to take the ark back to its proper place after the, after the uh, Philistines had had it for some time. <clears throat> so, then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites of the sons of Kohath, Uriel, chief, the chief, and 120 of his brethren, the sons of Merari, Isaiah, the chief, and 220 of his brethren, of the sons of Gershom, Joel, the chief, and 130 of his brethren, uh, of the sons of Elizaphan, Shemaiah, the chief, and 200 of his brethren, the sons of Hebron, or Hebron, Eliel, the chief, and 80 of his brethren, the sons of Uziel, Amenadab. Now, that's the one where the ark was kept for a while. Uh, Amenadab, the chief, 120 of his brethren. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Amenadab. Then he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, and you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Now, you say, that's a lot of folks. To... Well, there's more to do than carrying the ark. So there, all these other things had to, the tabernacle itself was uh, taken down, and uh, the, all the different things in the in the tabernacle, all of those things had to be carried. So for because you did not do, listen to this now, for because you did not do it the first time. One was first time. What we read. In Second Samuel, the seventh, sixth, sixth chapter, when they made this temp attempt and put the ark on a cart and hauled it, and when Uzzah touched it, when he thought it was going to fall off. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. In other words, according to the pattern that God had given them, proper, proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders, by its poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. Well, now we know God had said that the Levite men of the family of Kohath, when they moved this ark, they were to carry it on their shoulders. But 
on this occasion when they brought it back the first when they brought it the first time they didn't do that they put it on the cart pulled by oxen and then when the ark began to evidently move when they went over that rough place the oxen stumbled Uzzah reaches up to steady that ark, knowing no doubt that God had plainly said, you don't touch any of these holy things. And of course the ark would have been one of the most important. Why? For one thing, remember that the mercy seat had been made on top of that ark. And that's where God met his people in the forgiveness of their sins, when they sprinkled the blood of the animal, when the high priest went into that most holy place of the tabernacle and sprinkled the blood of the animal on the mercy seat. And so they had failed to follow follow the pattern, and that's why Uzzah died. But when we know all of that, It's not difficult to understand. God had made himself very clear as to how this was to be done. He had given the instructions and they were there for them. And they refused to follow. The first time they tried to bring the ark up, they refused to follow the pattern. But as we read earlier, when... All of this happened. The next time they brought it up, we are told in First Samuel or Second Samuel, the sixth and seventh chapter, that they did it according to the to the pattern, according to the due order that God had given them. Well, is there is there a lesson in that for us? Well, in Romans, the fifth chapter, this is exactly what Paul, not just this instance, but all of the such instances in the Old Testament. In Romans 15 and verse 4, for whatever things were written before, writ, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What's he saying? The things written in the Old Testament, these stories in the Old Testament, this one included, were written for us to learn that we must respect God's pattern with regard to all the patterns that he has given us. And someone might say, well, wait a minute, Brother Leon, back in the Old Testament, God God was very strict with the people. Remember, we live under the... We live under grace and not under law. Well, that's true. And, of course, when he said we live under grace and not under law, he's not saying we don't have law. He's saying we don't just have law. We have the grace and mercy of God. That's how we can receive forgiveness. But that doesn't change the fact that it's very important for us to follow the teachings and the patterns that the Lord gave. Do you suppose... Would you even begin to suppose that 
the people that we read about, that the Lord tells us about in Matthew 7, at verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now listen to this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. What is it to practice lawlessness? <laughs> to do something that's not according to the pattern, not according to the rules that God has laid down. Now this, you, you say, well, that means you think, you're, you, you think you folks are better than everybody else. We're not talking about individual actions here. It's true. There's not any sin that people in all the religions of the earth commit, probably, at least most all of them. But what members in churches of Christ commit? But this is not talking about our pattern of daily living, living holy lives. Other passages deal with that. This is talking about how God, the pattern that God has given us with regard to our salvation and with regard to His church and the activity, the work of the church and so forth. This is the principle dealt with you. That was dealt with it. He wasn't talking about what some individual Israelite might do out here. He would have to suffer what he, when Achan, when Achan stole the gold bars, you remember. And he and his family were destroyed by that. Well, God dealt with him, but he didn't destroy the whole. He didn't bring that on the whole nation. You know. That was something that that particular individual suffered. And so we're talking about here his order that he has established for how he saves us and for the relationship called the church in the New Testament and its organization and its work and so forth. We must follow, we must respect the pattern that God has given. But somebody says, but yes, but he, he makes a difference for us today. Well, let me read a couple of passages in the book of Hebrews with regard to that in New Testament times. In Hebrews, the second chapter, here's what he said. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels is steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by those who heard him? He says, how shall we escape? And later in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews the 10th chapter. Let me read to us just a little bit there. For, verse 26 of Hebrews 10. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment fiery indignation 
which shall devour the adversary. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled under trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord shall judge his people. And let me say this also before we close. I'm not, this, this doesn't just apply to other religions out here in the world. This applies to this church right here. This applies to all churches of Christ. For we know that there are many churches of Christ today that are practicing things that we believe, and I believe I can prove, that they're violating God's due order, God's pattern. I'm not saying they're not sincere and honest in what they're doing. But there are churches of Christ. There are churches of Christ that have their praise bands now. All of these people lined up with their musical instruments on, on the stages, on the pulpits, performing for the people in the audience in their services. And so this is not just a matter of other. It's a matter, it's, it's something that's important for all of us. And so Jesus said concerning the Jews of his day, the day that he walked here on this earth, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And it, it, it throws a chunk in the wheel, maybe use that old expression, when people say, well, where does the Bible say not to? Nothing is authorized of God simply on the basis that it's not specifically condemned in the Scriptures. Now, he does specifically condemn some things, but he makes it very clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we cannot add to his word or we'll suffer the consequences because of it. He told them to build that tabernacle in the Old Testament according to the pattern. He told them to carry that ark according to the pattern, according to the new order. And Uzzah died because he didn't follow the pattern. And the New Testament tells us that if we reject the mercy of God under the New Testament, our punishment will be worse than they received. That's what we read a few moments ago. So, John the Apostle in 2 John 9 says, Whoever goes beyond and does not abide in the doctrine or in the teaching of Christ does not have God. He that abides in the teaching of God has both the Father and the Son. The question is, don't ever ask anybody, well, where does the Bible say not to do that? The question John says to ask is, where does the New Testament 
authorize it? Where does it teach that God authorizes us or commands us to do that? That's the question that must be asked. Well, where is the passage that authorizes a person to believe in Jesus, repent of sins, confess faith in Jesus Christ, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. We read some of that this morning. That's not hard to find, is it? There are a number of passages that teach that. Every passage in the New Testament. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are a lot of passages that mention only faith. But there's not, there's not one passage that teaches that we're justified or saved by faith only. But there are a lot of passages that only mention faith. There are some passages that only mention repentance. Does that mean repentance is the only thing? That's no. There are some passages that only mention confession. And there are some passages that only mention baptism. I don't believe that baptism only can save you. Having that, that if you're just, you're just buried in water and you don't believe or you don't repent of your sins, that baptism will work anyway. No. It takes the whole, whole thing. If you're subject to the invitation tonight and the pattern for renewing, if we leave the faith and become involved in sin and we need to make public confession. Come in repentance and prayer to God, as we pointed out this morning, from Acts 8 and verse 22. If you're subject to the invitation of the Lord, come right now as together we stand and sing. It is for you and me and the to face to its